Hello, and welcome to People of the Pod, brought to you by American Jewish Committee. Each week, we take you beyond the headlines to help you understand what they all mean for America, Israel, and the Jewish people. I'm your host, Manya Brashear-Pashman. Throughout this month of May, as we highlight the many reasons why we are Jewish and proud, we've been hearing from listeners young, old, and in between about what it means to be Jewish. This week, we bring you just one of those messages because it is so powerful, it stands on its own. I'm Sarah Ellen Sharp from Miami, Florida. Being Jewish to me means remembering, questioning, and sharing. Remembering walking to shul with my mother, holding hands as we crossed the street, excited for the holidays. Remembering our history, the tragic to the triumphant, being led in life by questions, not just the four questions, but questions about everything, why we do things in a particular way, whether we are doing enough to make the world a better place. Everything starts with a how or a why or a why not. Sharing everything. There's always enough room for one more person at our table. We are among the first to respond with humanitarian aid. I was so proud when Israelis helped during the Surfside tragedy, not just by lending a hand, but by sharing their better understanding about how critical rescue equipment worked. Remembering, questioning, and sharing, for me, they are at the core of being a Jew. Please keep those heartfelt messages coming and tell us what being Jewish means to you. Call the People of the Pod hotline at 212-891-1336 and leave a message of a minute or less in our voicemail inbox. Be sure to include your name and city and tell that person making all that noise in the background to keep it down. You're recording. Just like Sarah, you may hear your voice on a future episode of People of the Pod. Call 212-891-1336. More and more institutions such as universities and corporations have launched diversity, equity, and inclusion departments to create more welcoming environments for students, members, employees, and customers. Here to discuss how these DEI efforts address misunderstandings and mistreatment of Jews is my guest host this week, Holly Huffnagel, AJC's U.S. Director for Combating Antisemitism, and Dr. Saba Sumek, Associate Director of AJC Los Angeles and a lecturer at the Academy for Jewish Religion, California. Holly? Thank you, Manya. We are in May, which is Jewish American Heritage Month. It is also Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month. And we must laud the important relationships and partnerships between the Jewish and Asian American communities. Today, we're gonna talk about American Jews in public settings from school to the workplace. Now, through the mid 20th century, American Jews faced discrimination in employment, including law firms, housing, membership in certain social clubs and resorts, and acceptance to certain colleges and medical schools due to Jewish quotas. In the 1960s, American Jewish Committee and the Jewish Educational and Vocational Service started an initiative called Executive Suite to advocate for the hiring of Jews in insurance companies, in banks, and in law firms. And there has been huge success in breaking barriers for Jewish employees and for Jewish students. In fact, many people today don't know this history in part because Jews are not systematically discriminated against in these places. And yet we are still seeing anti-Semitism and a misunderstanding of who Jews are in the workplace and on campus. I'm excited to discuss these issues 
and Jewish diversity and inclusion with my colleague, Dr. Saba Sumek. Saba, welcome to People of the Pod. Thank you, Holly. It is a pleasure to be here. Thank you, Saba. I want to first take a step back and ask a question, you know, what is DEI? What is diversity, equity, inclusion? We hear this word a lot. Where does it come from and and what are some of its goals? So diversity is the presence of differences that include race, gender, religion, sexual orientation, ethnicity, differences in socioeconomic status, language, physical disabilities, age, religious commitment, etc. So when we're looking at diversity, we're looking at populations that have been or remain underrepresented in broader society. And then the concept of equity is promoting justice, fairness, and all the procedures and processes that go along with that. So tackling equity issues actually requires an understanding of why there are these outcome disparities within our society. And then you get to the third, which is inclusion. And inclusion is your desire to ensure that all these diverse people feel or are welcome. So inclusion includes meeting with them, your institution, having programs that invites everyone in. And so that's where you have diversity, equity, and inclusion. And what happened was after the unfortunate Floyd murder, and everything that has happened in 2020, what we saw was a huge burst in human resources where they were hiring diversity, equity, inclusion, DEI officers or people from outside of the company to come in or the school to start teaching and giving DEI trainings. And that has been wonderful, except if you're part of the Jewish community. What do you mean by that? I mean, I think it's promoting diversity and inclusion in the workplace. That's, that's critical. So what does DEI mean for, for Jews and for issues of anti-Semitism? What are you seeing? Unfortunately, what we have been seeing is that DEI practitioners, officers, whatever you want to call them, trainers, do not understand the Jewish community. And what has happened was in a very, and if you're a DEI trainer and you do your job well, this does not include you. But what what we have seen is DEI trainers come in with this model of DEI, which is oppressed versus the oppressor. And it's this very black and white ideology. And it's just this binary. And Jews don't fit into either And it really looks at it within the concept of race. And as we know, race is a social construct and race doesn't adequately describe the Jewish experience and anti-Semitism in America or all over the world. So unfortunately, what we have seen on college campuses and in the workplace is that Jews have been described as being, quote, white, privileged, and thus the oppressors. Let's look at Stanford University. This is Stanford University and Ivy League. And what happened was last summer, you had two Jewish mental health counselors who participated in Stanford University's Counseling and Psychological Services Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Program. And what happened was they filed charges of discrimination against the university. Why? Because the DEI trainer placed them into racial and ethnic categories, which they didn't identify with. And then the program decidedly ignored explicitly anti-Semitic incidents that occurred on campus and the response of the DEI committee, while these students were dealing with anti-Semitism, they said, quote, Jews 
unlike other minority groups, possess privilege and power. Jews and victims of Jew hatred do not merit or necessitate the attention of the DEI committee. So here you have Jewish students who are dealing with anti-Semitism from the left and from the right. And here you have DEI committees basically telling them you are, you know, white passing, you are privileged. So we're not even going to deal with the anti-Semitism you're dealing with. Wow, Saba, thank you for sharing that specific anecdote. And I know before coming to HAC, you know, you were a university professor. You were seeing a lot of these issues firsthand. Do you mind actually sharing with us a little bit about your personal background, your personal story, and how this fits in with diversity, equity, and inclusion? Absolutely. So I have to say, for almost 20 years, I have been a college professor teaching religious studies and Middle Eastern history in numerous universities in Los Angeles. And my experience with DEI and anti-Semitism, and at that point, they didn't even call it DEI, universities would pay attention when anti-Semitism was coming from the far right. So when there was a swastika on a Jewish fraternity or something like that. But when anti-Semitism was coming from the far left, when it was coming from anti-Israel activists, that's when they just closed their eyes, did not address it, did not look at it. And in Los Angeles, luckily, a lot of what we were seeing on university campuses, I mean, yes, you have the swastikas, and I'm not downplaying that, but from my experience on university campuses, it was coming from anti-Israel activists. And so thus, it was completely ignored. And Jewish students or students who identified with being a Zionist, whatever that meant for them, were being completely ignored if they were being bullied psychologically or even physically attacked because it was coming from a lot of times other marginalized communities and no one wanted to address it. You and I are very lucky. We both do anti-Semitism trainings together for AJC. And what's really important for me when we do our trainings is number one, we need to address who the Jewish community is. We describe who are Jews and most people assume Jews are just a religion. And they don't recognize it's an ethnicity, it's a nationality, it's a cultural ideology, et cetera. And they also, especially in America, only look at Jews as being quote unquote white passing or coming from Ashkenazi backgrounds if they don't even understand what Ashkenazi is, just quote unquote white passing. Well, we know that about 10 to 15% of America's population of Jews are actually Jews who identify with being a quote unquote person of color. So that could be Asian American, Middle Eastern, African American, et cetera. That's over 1 million Jews in America. And people need to understand that diversity. So this is when I come in and bring in my own story. I was born in Iran. My family had to escape Iran because of the Islamic revolution. And we escaped in 1978 one year before the Islamic revolution. The Jews of Iran were actually lucky because it took until the 70s for us to realize we need to get out of the Middle East. Meanwhile, most Jews from the Middle East, North Africa region had to get out 1940s, 1950s, et cetera, because of the ethnic cleansing of Jews in the Middle East and North Africa due to either Arab imperialism or Islamic radicalism. And people don't recognize that by 1980, 1 million Jews were ethnically cleansed from that region. And so I come in with my story to talk about what it means to be, quote unquote, a brown Jew, a non-white passing Jew, and what my family experienced. And the fact that there are 
really no Jews in countries where you used to have Egypt, 70 to 100,000 Jews, none left. Iran used to have 80 to 100,000 Jews. At most, we now have 10,000. In other countries where you had tens of thousands of Jews, literally none left. And I think it's really important to bring in that personal story so people recognize the diversity within the Jewish community. And they also recognize the history of the Jewish community. Thank you, Saba. That story is, is very important. And I think when we do these trainings, many people are, are surprised, are surprised to see someone who um, they might not recognize as, as Jewish or their background. And it's just that, uh, you know, that eye-opening experience for them and something that we need to do more of. Can you give us some examples? You, you mentioned the Stanford example, but can you give us other examples of challenges you've seen within DEI space. Obviously, the DEI space is not a monolith. There are DEI offices that are working very well, but others have faced challenges. What have you seen? Uh, Could you give us some examples of what Jews have experienced? One thing that we do when we do our DEI trainings is we do a lot of research before, and we want to get background information. So we want to make sure that when we're going into, let's say, a tech company, any company that we're going into or a university, we are specifically addressing what's going on there. And so you and I both do a lot of interviews where we meet with the Jewish employees to talk about what are you experiencing? What would you like for us to address? What are you seeing from your colleagues, whether it is explicit or implicit anti-Semitism? For example, for a lot of tech companies, they're not walking around and seeing swastikas. That's not really an issue for them. So we're not going to really bring that up because their colleagues recognize that a swastika in the hallway is anti-Semitic. But the things that they say is exactly that. Number one, the gaslighting, where if they feel comfortable enough to speak up, if the company has created an environment where they feel comfortable to speak up, a lot of times they're gaslit by their colleagues, meaning their colleagues are telling them, no, 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 that's not anti-Semitism. Let me tell you what is and is not anti-Semitism. So they're speaking over their voices or they are being tokenized. And what does that mean? They will find, and you know, again, one of the big things, and I'll use tech companies as an example, is that they say, we're not experiencing anti-Semitism from the far right. There's no neo-Nazis who are working in our company. What we're really experiencing is the anti-Semitism described as anti-Zionism without recognizing that what they're saying about Israel are really anti-Semitic tropes and canards, and they're just replacing Jew with Israel. So they say, we really need you to address the Israel-Palestinian issue. And when it is okay to criticize Israel, what's legitimate criticism of Israel, which we at AJC absolutely say, of course, it's legitimate to criticize Israel. But when that criticism goes into the double standards, you know, denying Israel's right to exist, demonizing Israel, et cetera. What a lot of colleagues have done is they tokenize Jews. They find the Jew who doesn't believe in Israel's right to exist. And mind you, over 80%, something like eight out of 10 Jews believe in Zionism and Israel's right to exist and have said that Israel is important to them. But a lot of times universities and companies will find that tokenized Jew who will say, I don't care about Israel or Israel doesn't have a right to exist. And they will use that Jew to represent the Jewish community. And in that context, what they're doing is they're not finding people who are representing the Jewish community. They're finding that tokenized Jew and using that to represent us. Another thing that we're seeing is that Jews who are white passing, i.e. Ashkenazi, are basically told 
we don't want you to share your experience of anti-Semitism because you're white passing. Do we have a Latina Jew or a black Jew who could share instead? And again, kind of that tokenizing of Jews. But what that's basically saying is that, you know, do we ignore sexism against white women because they're white? Or do you tell a light-skinned Muslim from Albania or wherever, you're not experiencing Islamophobia because you're light-skinned? We shouldn't, I hope we don't, but that is what's going on with the Jewish community that is Ashkenazi, white passing is they again are being sidetracked and being told you can't experience anti-Semitism because you're white passing. And we know that that is absolutely incorrect. Exactly. I think pointing out those double standards too, or when, you know, only Jewish employees are asked their opinion about what's happening in Israel or a foreign country, when no other employees are being asked this question. I mean, we've heard some stories about people feeling like kind of harassed in the, in the workplace and going up to human resources and being told, that, oh, that's a political issue. What you're experiencing isn't anti-Semitism and almost gaslighting them, making them feel like what they're experiencing isn't real. And so these are very, very important issues. You know, you mentioned a little bit about our trainings, something that AJC is doing. Can you talk us through a little bit about this is this is relatively new for American Jewish Committee coming into companies and doing these trainings. Can you talk a little bit about what we're doing, what we're learning and maybe where you see this going in the future? Absolutely. And first and foremost, I really want to commend the companies that have reached out to us. We have worked with some amazing companies, whether it is within and I don't you know, out of privacy, I won't say their names respect them in that context, but whether it's in talent agencies, music, art, acting, whether it is tech companies or whether it is investment companies, law firms, et cetera. So what happened was, as we know, there was an explosion of anti-Semitism in May, last May with the Israel-Gaza war. I mean, there was something like, what, 200% increase in anti-Semitism in America, 400% in Europe, et cetera. And Jews on campuses and Jews in the workforce were being told, you're not experiencing anti-Semitism, even though they were being bombarded, whether it was through their colleagues or just online with anti-Semitic tropes, again, against Israel that were not you know, critiques of the government, but literally just go hitting all the, Israel doesn't have a right to exist, Israelis are bloodthirsty, all of these things. And so luckily Jewish employees started really speaking up. And that is what is key is your boss and HR will not know if there is an issue unless you speak up. And we are grateful to the Jewish employees who spoke up and went to HR. And we are grateful to HR for recognizing we don't really know how to address this. So instead of doing the Stanford University situation where I'm just going to, you know, address this in this most horrific way and just say Jews are white and privileged and not oppressed, I'm going to come and I'm going to reach out to the experts. And that's when they came to us. And that's where you and I stepped in to really talk about, well, we, number one, we have done some really great research, some great surveys, thanks to you, Holly, and the whole AJC team, where we have actual numbers and numbers are so important. And we learned this, you and I, through all of our interviews with tech employees, where they're like, we need numbers. The tech world loves numbers and so does the investment world. So we could go in and say 24% are experiencing this, 50% are experiencing that. And then what we do is we have this amazing document called Translate Hate. For anyone who's interested, you could go online. It's literally translatehate.org. And you could find this great document where we discuss and define anti-Semitic tropes 
And through pictures and political cartoons, we show these tropes in the past, such as a blood libel, Jews being accused of stealing Christian babies, using their blood, or deicide, Jews being accused of killing Jesus. And then we show how these tropes are recycled today on the far left and on the far right, and how they're being recycled today all over the world, whether it's in the Middle East, whether it's in the New York Times, et cetera. So then we start introducing anti-Semitic tropes and how they are seen in the past, how they're being recycled today. And then we discuss what you can do to be an ally to the Jewish community and what those processes are. And somehow you and I miraculously do this in like 40 minutes and leave time for questions. And we've gotten a great response. And I think it's just a multiplier effect that needs to happen now. Some of these trainings were just getting started. And I think, you know, if someone would have asked me two years ago, when I started in this role as a director to combat anti-Semitism in the United States, where are the gaps? This is the landscape of anti-Semitism in the U.S. We know it's rising. We know it's coming from many sources. We kind of have a sense of why it's happening. We know social media has been a huge factor to it. But where are the gaps? Where can we actually make a difference? I don't know if I would have answered the same way as I, I do, I would now. And I do think one gap is in the corporate world, especially as some companies are coming out and they're making statements, rightfully so, fighting for racial and social justice, rightfully so, decrying Asian hate and some of the persecutions, but then they're silent on issues of anti-Semitism. And then we ask, well, why is that? And it is a gap. And I think it's important to, to you know, to fill it, to educate. And many of the people we've spoken to, Saba, you're, you're right. It's not malintent or malicious, it's often ignorance. It's often just this lack of awareness. Have you seen any like, you know, good models? I mean, I know there's actually been some mistakes made. And in fact, I don't wanna put you on the spot for this story, but a black Jewish colleague of yours who went through a, an experience that I think we've actually learned from. And now we can see some models moving forward in the future that will hopefully rectify some of these mistakes. Would you mind speaking about this story? Yes, of course. So you have this amazing woman named April Powers who is black and Jewish. And she was previously the chief equity and inclusion officer at the Society of Children's Book Writers and Illustrators. And in May, now April is so on top of her game. And so whenever there was any type of, you know, violence against the Asian community, she tweeted and posted about that against the Muslim community, et cetera. And of course, as we've talked about in May, you had this explosion of violence against the Jewish community. So she sent a tweet or on behalf of the, you know, Society of Children's Book Writers and Illustrators condemned anti-Semitism. And what ended up happening was a barrage, a torrent of death threats and anti-Semitic messages that she and her family were subjected to because she condemned anti-Semitism. No one had a problem, of course, as they shouldn't, when she condemned violence against the AAPI community, but because she condemned anti-Semitism, she and her family were subjected to so much abuse and death threats. April decided to step out of her position as chief equity and inclusion officer. She made it very clear that the company did not ask her to do it, but she chose to do it. And she had to deal with the repercussions of what her and her family had to go through, death threats against her children because of this. How horrific is that? Even April's decision, you know, to step down really reveals an important element about doing the right thing, but also of being proudly Jewish and standing up for what's right. 
When we think of successful interventions, things that have worked in the fight against anti-Semitism, which we do want to know about, we know it's rising, so what's actually working? And we think about you know, legislative advocacy, that's working, better data, that's working, security for Jewish institution, that's working, changing social media policies, it's hard, but some of it is working. You know, I think Jewish pride is an intervention, actually. It is an intervention against anti-Semitism. It's something that's not talked about as much. And just on that last point, what would it mean, like, you know, from your perspective, being proudly Jewish on campus, in the workplace, and just in this final minute we have together, how can this go forward? Where do we need to go from here? It started with the fact that we're even doing these trainings was because Jewish employees were proudly Jewish and said, enough, we need to feel protected. We need people to explain our community, et cetera. So I think number one is speaking up. And I tell this to my students all the time, you need to speak up because you know universities are little cities. Some of these tech companies, as we know, they have thousands of employees. You and I are sitting there giving these talks, these trainings, and we have employees in the Philippines, we have employees in India, et cetera. They don't necessarily know. So number one is speaking up and saying, I feel like I need to be represented in this company or at school. I don't feel safe, et cetera. Number two is being Jewish and proud and saying, you know, this is my religious tradition. These are my high holy days. Please do not schedule meetings or exams during this time. I mean, I can't tell you how important this is. I'm on a Jewish advisory committee for a local university in Los Angeles. And that is one of the big things the students say to us, we really need professors to understand is please stop putting exams on Yom Kippur, on Rosh Hashanah, et cetera. It sounds silly or it sounds like, well, what's the big deal? But it's huge deal when you have a huge company meeting, a presentation during specific holidays. And then, of course, it is the Jewish and proud is when you're Jewish and proud, then it, you're asking your colleagues, your former, you know, your classmates, your professors to recognize you as an individual, to recognize your religious tradition, your community. And in that way, hopefully encourage them to be allies, because we cannot do this work by ourselves. We need that allyship. Absolutely. Saba, thank you so much for joining us, for sharing your expertise and wisdom with us on People of the Pod. Thank you so much, Holly. As our regular listeners know, now is often the time for our closing segment, Shabbat Table Talk. My conversation with Saba was recorded before the horrific massacre in a top supermarket in Buffalo, New York. So I'd like to take this time to express AJC's condolences for the 10 innocent lives stolen on Saturday, May 14th. It is clear from the writings of the 18-year-old apprehended by law enforcement immediately after the shooting that the same white supremacist hatred that murdered 11 Jews in Saya Synagogue in Pittsburgh and 51 Muslims at two mosques in Christchurch, New Zealand, is the same white supremacist hatred that targeted Latino immigrants at a Walmart in El Paso, Texas, killing 23, and just targeted Black Americans in Buffalo, New York. This hatred is expressed through a conspiracy theory called Great Replacement or White Genocide that's been popular with white nationalists for decades. Its believers spew the falsehood that immigrants and people of color will replace the white race, leading to its extinction. In this perverted worldview, Jews are viewed as the masterminds or the puppeteers controlling increased immigration and empowering people of color. We saw this in Charlottesville at the Unite the Right rally where marchers chanted, Jews will not replace us and witness the anti-Semitism and racism take the life of Heather Heyer, whose name is now memorialized along with Khalid Jabara in the Jabara Heyer No Hate Act or the National Opposition to Hate, Assaults and Threats to Equality Act, which President Biden signed into law exactly one year ago. 
This act will help state and local authorities improve hate crime reporting with training, reporting hotlines, public educational forums on hate crimes, and other tools. The absolutely senseless crime in Buffalo highlights the urgency of these measures. Please join AJC in urging your representatives in Congress to pass funding to implement the No Hate Act so these changes can be made. Please visit actnow.ajc.org. We know that the hate-fueled despicable beliefs, such as the Great Replacement Theory and the crimes they inspire, are antithetical to our values as Americans. Dismantling white supremacy must matter to all of us. If we care about fighting anti-Semitism, we must care about fighting anti-Black racism, anti-Muslim hatred, and xenophobia. The future of our democracy and the safety of our communities depends on it. Shabbat Shalom. If you missed last week's episode, be sure to tune in for my moving conversation with Hunter College professor and author Leah Garrett about how she's learned in recent years that being Jewish means to be a fighter. And next week, join us for a conversation with author and journalist Yossi Klein-Halevi about the anticipation, both tense and joyful, surrounding Israel's celebration of Jerusalem Day. Thank you for listening. This episode is brought to you by AJC. Our producer is Atara Lakritz. Our sound engineer is TK Broderick. You can subscribe to People of the Pod on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts, or learn more at ajc.org slash peopleofthepod. The views and opinions of our guests don't necessarily reflect the positions of AJC. We'd love to hear your views and opinions or your questions. You can reach us at peopleofthepod at ajc.org. If you've enjoyed this episode, please be sure to tell your friends, tag us on social media with hashtag peopleofthepod, and hop on to Apple Podcasts to rate us and write a review to help more listeners find us. Tune in next week for another episode of People of the Pod. 